Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Haskincast podcast. For those of you that are keeping track of the episode numbers, it's really weird. Unless you just want to make sure that you've heard them all, which would be absolutely fantastic. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is the last show before the August break, even though we're now like a week into August. Uh that actually happened because Carla's episode, this episode that you're about to hear, the interview went so long that I split it into two parts. Otherwise, I'd be on my break already. I will be popping in most likely in a couple of weeks with a review of Audionamics Extracts Stems 2. The new version just came out. Ellie was kind enough to send me a link to check it out. And I have. And so far, it is really, really fantastic. I love it. It does take a little bit of finessing because every recording is different, every EQ is different, every focus in the mix is different. So it's really going to be dependent on what it is splitting to give you the individual three tracks and the, the tracks being drums, vocals, and everything else. So I found so far that depending on how I play with it, sometimes the drums will bleed over into the vocals but you just move the little arrow. There's like a, a triangle and there's a point in the middle that you can move. And that changes the focus of how the mix is broken out. It's really simple, but it's also not really simple because it takes a little bit of playing around with it to figure out how to actually manipulate that. And like I said, it's going to be a little bit different for each song, depending on what the instruments are in the song, how it was recorded and mixed, what the EQ is. But it's actually really just easy to make the changes. It's just that when you make a change, then it has to re-export out the uh, the new stems. But you basically can just walk away. You can set it up and it'll start splitting it out. And then you walk away and you come back and you check them. And then if, if you're not happy with it, then you move the little uh, dot and you see how that sounds and you can export them again. There's a couple different modes too that I'm playing with and trying to figure out how to really learn what's the best so that when I pull in a new song and I listen to it, I can just go to whichever one I think is going to be the best. So I'll be talking about that in the review. But so far, guys, seriously, this uh, this technology is absolutely amazing. Audionamics has really simplified the user end of it as much as possible. And uh, I didn't really play with the uh, original version. I just started with uh, the new updated version 2 and uh, I, I just can tell you, this is about as, as simple as it's going to get for quite a while, I would imagine. But uh, one of one of my friends on Instagram asked if there was a demo version of it available. And Audionamics' response was to get in contact with them. So there may be, if you want to check it out, it's like a hundred bucks, I think. So, you know, if you're looking to do any kind of remixing or if you want to learn from the tracks, it's a great way to separate things so that you can hear the guitar solo, say, or the organ solo a little more clearly, or really get an idea of what the drummer's doing, that uh, some of those little subtle things that might be buried, or the vocalist. And even though there's going to be a little bit of bleed from one thing to another, it, it's geared towards uh, using those tracks and other things. So like if you're a uh, remix artist or a DJ, then uh, it's okay to have a little bit of bleed because those things are going to get buried in your mix anyway. And uh, at least that's my opinion. But uh, I'll be doing more of an in-depth thing and put in some samples so that you guys can hear uh, what it can do. But it's it's really amazing. So I've been playing with that in the midst of building my new website, which is now live and it's still at the same place, uh, https 
www.scotthaskin.com with all the proper slashes and colons and whatnot. Um, it is still in the works. It is uh, under construction, as the homepage will tell you. Uh, interestingly, now this show is hosted through Podbean, and interestingly, the uh, Podbean player does not play well with WordPress, which is what my new site is under. So the Podbean player is currently not available on my website. However, I do have all the links to where you can enjoy the show, uh, YouTube, iTunes, uh, Podbean, Google Play, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, but <laughs> it's just ironic. So I followed the instructions on how to set up the uh, workaround link, and it worked for like two seconds, and then it stopped working. So that will be back at some point as I have time. The website's functional. It's not exactly what I want, but it is up and running, and uh, I will be making improvements to it as I can. The more important thing, obviously, is the art itself, whether it be the podcast or music or books. I am uh, finishing up this week the writing sessions for the last Haunted Holidays album, and I'll be recording and mixing that this month, which is part of the reason for my hiatus from the podcast. Uh, also, I've been doing them every week, so it uh, does take a lot of time to schedule guests to do the uh, all the background work that it takes to make the show happen. I've got some really exciting people lined up for when I return in September, which will probably be after Labor Day where I will actually that weekend will be recording my first remote podcast. So that should be interesting. I've just purchased a uh, Tascam handheld recorder and a ridiculously large SIM card so that I can record uh, for hours and uh, and then edit down from there. So it should be interesting more on that when I return after Labor Day. That may be actually that may be the first episode. I'm not sure. We'll see. But in the meantime, I do want to get back to the second half of my interview with Carla. We uh, we pick up where we left off, where we were about to talk about her work as a bass player. She plays uh, bass with the band Element 115, which uh, I had Michael on a few months back or a couple months back, and uh, talks a little bit about that. And then the conversation kind of took an unexpected turn. And I hope that you enjoy that as much as I enjoyed speaking with her about it. And without further ado, Here's Carla. It's different as a musician. And before we wrap up, this is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because you're not just a really warm-hearted, cat-loving, uh, incredibly <laughs> talented artist. You're pretty much a badass bass player and singer, too. Uh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I have had the pleasure of seeing you perform live a few times. And of course, you know, I listen to the, the stuff that you've done on record. And uh, I, you know, being somebody who's a very novice bass player, I have the utmost respect for people who can play bass. It is a much more difficult instrument than bass players make it look. And uh, yeah, it, that's true. It, it is so intricate and and so important. Uh, the the timing of it, the feel of it. There's so many things that go into it. Um, mm -hmm. Do you you obviously enjoy playing live, but do you enjoy the writing process? Um, when I'm inspired. To write, I do, but that doesn't really happen for me that often. Um, I'm not sure what that's about. I think the the last time that uh, we were actually engaged in writing an album, there was just so much happening in life, and just the insanity of it all. It's like we we have this friend. His name is Mike, and and another friend. And the joke is that like no struggle, no song, right? And so. 
I kind of got into that mindset during that time when we were when we were writing our last album and um, well, our first album, I guess I should call it because it hasn't been the last. But anyway, <laughs> now this is uh, this is with Element One Fifteen. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it was you know life was just so insane that I just found it conducive to be more in that kind of poetry creative space as opposed to visually creative space. But I haven't been in that space for a while. I've I've been in more of um, um, not lyrically creative, but uh, actually I've been I've been doing some things on the piano, and I, I don't do it to play publicly. This is stuff that just I feel like it's a gift from from God. You know, it's like with the artwork or with anything else. It's like I I'm just the vessel for the the thing, and so I love being able to just kind of create at the piano and just play the songs because it's again it's kind of just such a different thing for me than playing bass bass right it's i i love playing bass and i love i think i love playing bass more than i love writing stuff for bass though really okay that's okay and i, I don't know why necessarily um I just don't really have the opportunity, I guess, or I don't make the opportunity for myself to just sit down in that writing, creative space as much as I used to. Well, bass and bass isn't generally an instrument that uh, women towards to gravitate uh, tend to gravitate towards. What was it that uh, kind of right. got you going in the first place? <laughs> well, you know, way back in the day, as they say, when I when I was back in grade school, and and you know that time when they first start introducing kids to music and you're supposed to pick your instrument. So it's like, okay, pick an instrument that you want to play. Well, I want to play drums. Mm-hmm. And my parents said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can identify with that. Be, yeah. You're not, I know, right. And you're not going to be playing drums. And my, don't get me wrong. My parents are the reason that I play music. My parents were madly talented musicians and have blessed my entire family with that, that downline. But they weren't going to, you know, have me being a drummer. They're like, no, you you need to learn something that has a little more to it than just that. Um, They wanted me to learn how to read music, and they wanted me to learn how to play piano so that I could work the treble clef and the bass clef sides of my brains and mm-hmm. multitask. You know, they wanted me to really get that bigger grasp of the of the musical picture before I then rolled into playing drums or anything else. And and I get that now as an adult, but as a kid, I didn't like the answer too much, but I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really start leaning towards the bass until I was out of school because I was so engaged with just, that's what I had to do. You know, I didn't have extra time and didn't take the extra time at that point in my life because I was busy, you know, doing other girly stuff, whatever, who knows. But unlike my brothers, I wasn't super focused on being a ba- in a band at that time in my life. And I can say that probably, you know, in some ways, both of my brothers have influenced me a lot in that way, because they both play multiple instruments, have been in bands for as long as I can remember, and still to this day, both still play. And my oldest brother, um, one of the instruments that he chose to play was bass. And I've always loved the rhythm section, you know, drums, bass, any kind of percussion. There's just something so primal about that. I think that goes back to the very core kind of of who we are as humans, kind of like just like being around a campfire. There's just something so 
basic to our very being about that kind of thing. And I, and I love being able to just be a part of that whole rhythm and the funk, you know, that you can create in the beat and the rhythm and just getting people moving, you know? Right. Because if you can get people moving and get their bodies moving and any anything like that, it, it can help you shift your whole perspective or your energy or, or anything like that, you know? And so that's, that's one of the reasons I love the bass and, and wanted to focus on the bass because that full rhythm section dynamic. And I just love the, the funkiness of it. And the, I don't know, I, maybe there was a part of me too, that because at that time there wasn't a lot of women that were playing bass. And so I was like, well, why not? You know, I'll yeah. be different and I'll play bass. Exactly. And, and I love that. And it's such a, a grounding instrument too, because it's rooted in those, mm-hmm. you know, those uh, deeper tones and it just, you kind of right. feel like you have a, a bigger foundation under you when you're playing. Right. I love how that resonates in my, my cavity. You know, it's like you hit some of those strings sometimes it's like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You just really feel it. You know, now I'm, I'm not a, an electric guitar player, so I don't know. I'm sure that they have their moments when it's like that as well, but yeah, it, it's something about that. It's all about that base, about that base, you know? That's right. Well, you know, and I can identify, I I like the direction that your parents wanted to take you. I think that was a good idea. And I can identify with that because when I was younger and I would take my drums over to my grandfather's house when I would stay with him, you know, for a few days over Christmas break, and he would want me to uh, play along with Benny Goodman records. And I'm like, yeah, but I just found this Deep Purple album that I'm learning. (laughs) I don't really care about your swing music, Grandpa. That's you know that's right. this is you know I I don't really care about World War One and you know all those things. Right. And I wish to God I would have listened to him. I I could have grown so much faster uh, yeah. as a drummer had I really learned those skills. And uh, to this right. day, I can't play swing very well. And I think it's really? now because I feel so bad that I just won't let myself do it. That's funny. Well, I mean, it is now. Um, I know you can. Yeah. I know you can because I know you've got the skills. But it's interesting that you grew up with that too, because yeah, my folks, man, in our house there was music very often, and you know, big band music, Benny Goodman, and, and back in the day, man, that was their thing. And so mm-hmm. I feel super blessed that you know I I was exposed to that at a really young age. Yeah, well, I guess I I didn't know this until after my grandfather died, but he used to play during World War II. He used to play drums in the officers' clubs, and uh, and my great uncle Richie apparently was friends with Benny Goodman. And whenever he would come to uh, Ohio, uh, they would get together and jam. Yeah, see, back in the day, they did stuff like that with bands. It was so cool. Yeah, I love that. Before it was all commercial and you're not allowed to play with this artist because they're on this label and you're on that label. Exactly. And yeah. it's I, I've had friends that have had to, you know, they've recorded sessions and then the record company won't let them release it because their artist is on a different label. I'm like, this is all so stupid. You know, it's a, that, oh, that same yeah. mentality of you're not allowed to stand on this piece of dirt. You're only allowed to stand on that piece of dirt. It's, you know, right. it's dirt. <laughs> it's know? dirt. Yeah. And you didn't create it. So piss off <laughs> exactly exactly yeah boy just you go down that that rabbit hole of the whole music industry which you know we 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 just dabbled in that long enough for me to realize that it's probably not a world i want to spend a lot of time in you know like full in mm-hmm. definitely not because you know i mean and this is no to, no offense to anybody that's in the industry but you know before you realize it you're you're pretty much sucked into a world that is just 
insanity and it's control, totally out of your control. Yeah. You know, um, you could create the best music in the world and it can be just super awesome and it gets sucked into the black hole of politics or red tape and control by those who run this kind of thing. And, you know, it's like, yeah, if you don't follow the formula and if you don't play the game, basically, you know, um, build things, sell your soul. Yeah. You don't get to play with big boys. And frankly, I'm grateful, you know, at this point in my life that we, we didn't continue down that road any further um, because there are bigger and better things to do musically and otherwise that we can still be musicians and affect change in the world and sure. not, um, you know, do stuff that just is not who we are as people. Yeah. Right. And I think as it, you know, is, is keeping with that honesty, I think that your brand has to really represent who you are. And if you're right. doing something to specifically say, this is how we're going to get, we're going to cut through and we'll get to our own stuff later. That really doesn't work a lot. I, I think Madonna right. really is one of the few people that really knew how to work that she did yep. the things that she needed to do to get to that height. And then she said, okay, now I can do the stuff I really want to do because right, I don't need right. to be the, you know, that, that persona of what people think of me anymore. And when I need to be, right. then I'll do it, but I can just be what me for a while. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, I don't think it's that undifferent necessarily in some respects in the art world as well. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a, an innate knowing in me as a young person when I first started contemplating artwork and just kind of that whole thing, you know, people said, well, you're going to have to go to New York or Chicago or LA or whatever. And I, I even recently in this, in the last several years, I've had an acquaintance that just been hammering me to, you know, you got to be in LA, you got to move to LA, you got to be here. I can't do stuff for you if you're not here. I'm like, no, not <laughs> happening. Yeah. You know, seriously. I think it really comes down to what do you want as an artist? What do you want your life to be? Do you want to be right. somebody who is, you know, churning out things because you're told to by your manager or do you want to be somebody who's just like, you know, when I feel like painting, I'm going to paint and I'm going to paint <laughs> what I feel like painting. I'm not working, yeah, you, under, know. <laughs> you know, but, but sometimes, like we said earlier, it is good to have projects because right. they push us a little bit more than we would push ourselves. Right. And I, and I can appreciate that. I think I've done some of my best work when I've done like under the gun auditions and things like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. But at the same point, I'm, I'm more proud, I think of the songs that I create that I kind of do in, in my own time because I put, yeah I don't, it's, it's not that I put more of myself into them. It's that I take, I take the time to be delicate and make more conscious decisions instead of just go off of raw. Okay. I've got six hours and I still have to right. record and mix this yet. So, you know, right there, there is that reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough either way. I think both things have their advantages, but I would prefer in, in the overall, to just write and enjoy what I want to write and enjoy. And I think if I enjoy oh, it, sure. there's a chance that at least someone else will. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, most creative people, you know, strive for that um, ultimately. But I guess, you know, I'm at this point looking for a balance between the two because, you know, I'm not an independently wealthy woman by any stretch of the imagination. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I mean, people are like, oh, you live in Sedona? It's like, yeah, I, I live in the full pile of side town. You know, I'm like, seriously... <laughs> starving artist level here you know there's like the level of people like us that are you know the people that are the the behind the scenes artists and artisans and whatnot and then there's like those that have the super rich money but they live on the other side of town not where i'm at you know so there's right. again that perception you know it's like oh well you know i again you know i 
also with the perception thing, just if I could for a moment, you know, people have that automatic perception that, oh, you're an artist, you live in Sedona, there's no way I'd be able to afford your art. It's like, no, right. seriously, yeah. just get over yourself. There's so much competition here that sometimes I can't even do certain things because I can't do it as inexpensively as someone else. So, you know, again, it, it kind of is. I had someone tell me in one of the local shops one day, we were having this conversation about pricing and, you know, what kind of pieces are they looking for? Because one of the things, you know, you have to take into consideration as an artist is, well, is there already an oversaturation of the type of artwork that I do, you know, whether it's subject matter or style or whatever. And so she was saying, you know, as far as pricing on things, she said really what it boils down to is if someone sees what you do and they fall in love with it, they're going to find a way to make it happen because they love it. Right. You know, and she said, so don't get all caught up on the pricing thing. You know, now that's hard not to do, you know, when you're trying to make a living. But also, like, there is this side of me that wants to just pretty much donate my whole life as a volunteer and just do what I do for free because I love it. And all of that, people are like, no, you have to still pay your bill. Right. Well, I mean, you do have to eat, you know, can't get, get, you know, the cat can't get all the cheese. Right. I have to wonder what the equivalent is in the art world where, you know, people uh, are so used to now streaming music and not really paying for the music itself. I have to wonder what the art equivalent is of that. Is it that they can download a picture, send it to Vistaprint, get a canvas made and, you know, for 20 bucks or just even just put it as a backdrop on their computer screen? Yes, there is a ton of that because anybody that knows anything about, you know, computers in any way is probably smart and savvy enough to do something like that. And, you know, I mean, truly with the photography thing, it's the same, you know, with the phones, like you were saying, everybody's a photographer now because these phones are amazing. You know, they take amazing pictures. And so you can download your picture to your computer. You could probably just directly send it to, you know, yeah, fill in your blank printing place and have it printed out. And that is a consideration. I understand, you know, because, you know, I'd like to be able to spend a lot of money on other people's art. There are things that I genuinely come across sometimes that I I would be like, yeah, I would like to invest in that person because I think they've got a lot of talent. I particularly love this piece or whatever, but may not be able to afford it. You know, so there is a lot of that. It's becoming more and more difficult, I think, for musicians and artists. We experience that with our music as well. You know, yeah. Um, you just you just don't make money at it like you used to. Yeah, very true. And I mean, unless you're going to go on tour, and even a lot of the tours are breaking even at best. Oh my gosh, we we did the tour thing, and I mean, I think we if we broke even, I would have been excited. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because there's just there's always something that you don't expect. You know, I mean. The joke for us with the Element 115 days were like we would start out on a road trip and we'd get, you know, 30 miles, 60 miles, however many miles from Phoenix or whatever. And something inevitably would go wrong with the truck or the trailer in which we were carrying our gear, you know, or whatever. And so, I mean, you know, 10 years down the road, it's funny now when we talk about those adventures because we're not caught up in them and that you remember the good times and not all the trauma, but right, yeah. when you're caught up in that stuff, you know, and it's like, seriously, we were going to, we were going to Roswell one year. We were the headliner that year and we were driving literally all night long to get there. We had had two blown tires. 
I mean, it was raining. I mean, everything that could go wrong, it felt like was going wrong, right? And so we pull in and we had to, we had to spend the entire night setting up for the following night's show. And it was just like, again, one of those things where people think, oh, you're, you know, you're a touring musician or you get to play music. That's so awesome. And it's like, yes, it is a huge, huge blessing. And I hope I get to do it until the day I die. And I am so, so grateful mm-hmm. for the opportunity. But overall, the time spent on stage being the quote unquote rock and roll star or worship leader or fill in the blank musician, you know, is so minimal compared to all the work behind the scenes. Like, can you say roadie right. and travel time and, you know, practice time and just, you know, all of that, that, that people don't take into consideration because we weren't the kind of band that we could hire people to be our roadies. We had people that would sometimes volunteer and that was super cool. Like you. Right. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I, I yeah. remember you being at a couple of our gigs and we were always so grateful. But, you know, basically we were the roadies and the, the set crew and the teardown crew. Oh, and then yeah, somewhere in, in there, you know, you get to play music and connect with the people. Yeah. And that's the awesomeness, you know, when you get to connect with the people through your music, through your art, through, poetry, whatever it is, you know, when you touch someone's heart or soul in that way yeah, and you know it, it's just, there is nothing better. Very true. And, and especially, you know, in, in the world of a composer where I live and I don't really play live a lot anymore. Uh, I right. don't really get to see people enjoying my work. I, I I'm lucky if I hear about it, you know, in doing right. research for my book, I reached out to some people and and they told me that, uh, yeah, they love my music or they put it, you know, they give it to their kids every night to go to sleep with. And I would have never known those things because people really don't take the time to go out of their way to tell you. True. And unless you're in a venue where you see people seeing you and you see them tapping their foot or bobbing their head or whatever, uh, you don't really know. You don't get the opportunities right. like we used to. And it's a shame because we live in a world now where communication is the easiest thing in the world. Yep. And yet, like you were saying, we really don't take advantage of it in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like how quick can you reach out in a text or a, an email or, a, you know, Facebook or fill in the blank social media thing these days, you know? Yeah, exactly. But the thing with that is that, and, and this is an honest to God, true story. There have been so many times where I have gone to log on to my, you know, Facebook page and it'll be to send you a message or read a message that you have sent to me and I'll get on there and I get distracted instead of staying focused and just going to do the business at hand. Mm -hmm. I get sucked into it and then an hour will go by and I'll forget why I'm there. I'll log off, go start dinner or whatever. And it's like, (laughs) oh crap. Oh yeah. I forgot to do the thing that I went there to do. You know, it's like, I think that as much as as humans, we want to believe that all of that stuff is making us more connected. It's really not. It's messing with our heads and making us less connected overall. Yeah, it's it's become a very big distraction. And, and I see that meme every once in a while where it says, you know, the uh, the Internet used to be the distraction from the real world. And now the real world is a distraction from the Internet. And that yes. may sound cliche, but that really is true. And one of the things that I love about living in Vegas is we have a lot of parks and there are they're very well maintained by the the state, and uh, there's tons of them, and some of them are really big. And I love seeing people at the park because it means that they're not. I mean, I mean, a lot of them are sitting there on their cell phones, but they're outside <laughs> getting fresh air. And right. A lot of them are interacting with other people, and, and it's not just you know. Let's just uh, let's do a simulation of what it would be like if we went to a park. 
Right, exactly. And, and you know, that's that's another funny thing. And another true story. My nephew, bless his heart, um, my brothers, they're both older than me, and they're very avid mountaineers, um, climbing, hiking, you know, a whole nine yards. And I mean, like, serious, up over 40 miles of mountain range-type climbing and stuff. So, anyway, my nephew one year uh, came out to go with them. And... When he got back from his trip, of course, he was super excited and fired up and wanted to share with his friend at work about his adventures or whatever. And his friend says to him something to the effect of, why did you do that? I could sit on my couch and do that at home, mm. you know, on a virtual you know, reality thing. I'm like, oh, dude, you have no clue what you're saying. Unplug yeah. and go stand outside. Please, for the love of God, go get connected. Yeah. Because it's in those places where you realize. You know, like seriously, go spend some time in nature. Right. If it's a park or whatever, you know, but like, you, yeah, it's so important. If you walk along the shore of the ocean or if you walk through a forest or just in like a lush field, there is nothing in the world that a computer can do that will no. give you that feeling. And that is some of the right. greatest stuff that this, this world has to offer, I think. Exactly. And that's why we're here. I mean, that's what humanity is supposed to be about. We're not supposed to be about, be about you know, turning into machines and becoming more board-like. Right. Um, you know, that that's not what humanity and, and the whole thing with humanity is about. And so, you know, I I, I do have, uh, as you know, a certain level of concern for the future in that regard. You know, I mean, I'm that's, and that's another reason I do the work that I do, because I... I want people to be so taken back by it that it reminds them, wow, that that could be something I see right outside my door or that was a flower that was in your garden or, oh, my gosh, that's what, you know, my pet looked like when he was 10 or, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like we forget just how amazing the world is that we live in. That's why in my photography, especially, and, and a lot of my earlier artwork, I focused on little these tales in nature where sometimes you didn't even know what the thing was. You just knew it was this cool looking thing, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it would engage someone to the point where at least it made them stop and look. Yeah. And that's hard to do these days. It, it so is hard to do these days. It makes my heart sad, you know, mm -hmm. and as an artist, um, that's part of our responsibility is to, to visually create something or musically, spiritually create something that makes someone stop and it touches their heart to a point where you know you know that yeah. you've had an effect on them in some way and you know just like with you because you're not out playing in the public and we you know we play in public but not in the same level or in the same way that we used to certainly um we still have effect on people but there's oftentimes the things that you do that are the little things you know a little piece of of something that you share with someone that you'll never know the difference that it makes in someone's life. That's very true. I think we affect people in ways that we will never know because right. either people don't know how to express it or they're afraid to express it or they get distracted mm -hmm. and don't express it. Um, but I, I mean, I have people tell me from time to time how much of a difference I make in their life. And I take that so much to heart because they cut through all of that and took the time to tell me. And if I'm doing something right, right I want to know if I'm doing something wrong, I want to know, but it's, it's right. important to tell people that, you know, they mean something to you and um, that you've had a positive effect on them and, and then they can, you know, 
butterfly effect that and send that same feeling to others. If they don't know they're doing right. it, they might not think it's that what they're offering has value. Exactly right. And, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm saying this is, you know, exactly right or whatever. You know, you know me long enough that this is conversations that we've had for years. And you, you are that champion in the world. That's how I see you. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even know how to put it any other way because you have chosen to overcome circumstances that have been, would, would, you know, give you reason not to have the attitude that you have, perhaps. And, and to, you know, you could easily choose to focus on negative stuff like we all can. And you and I have had conversations about these before, but, you know, it really is that conscious choice every day to wake up and focus on the good, reach out to the people who do good in the world. And you are one of those people. I see it on your postings all the time. And, and I've seen it and experienced it with you as a friend. And it's like the one thing that impresses me is you always say something to the effect of, well, is there something I can do for you? Or is there some way that I can help you? You know, and that is that heart of service that I love. And I love about you and I love about people that have that same kind of attitude that inspires me to want to then be more of that in the world because it is like the butterfly effect that you were talking about. Right. You know, the more we pay that forward and the more that we make those little changes in our own lives, the more we can have those effects on other people because people look at you and they, they have known you for, you know, X amount of years and they recognize the change in you. They recognize how much you've grown and, and stepped into that place of ownership of just, you know, yeah, life's a drag sometimes, but I'm going to choose to help people be successful and I'm going to choose to look at life in a good way and I'm going to choose to be the best person that I can be. That is you, my friend. Well, thank you, Carla. That, that, that really means a lot to me. That's what I want to show the world. That's the whole, uh, the whole thing. And, you know, there's definitely people uh, affect that though. The people that right. you know will appreciate it are the ones that you're more likely to offer that up to. And sure. the people Absolutely. that you know are either just going to take advantage of you um, mm-hmm. or or aren't going to care or are going to judge you or look at you as if you're crazy because you offered them something out of the norm. <laughs> you know, you really you really kind of just learn where to take those shots. But you you tend to always be available for the people that um, do have amazing hearts like you do and uh, do appreciate those gestures. And it, uh, even though I don't think you've ever once taken me up on it. Uh, you know, you, you, I feel like I have. You may have, but I mean, you. But you know that it's genuine. It's not like I'm saying that because I have an agenda, like your cat does. No, no. You know, it's, right? Yeah, you're not after cheese. I know. Right. It's something that's that's honest. Now, your coffee, maybe. Right. Well, yeah, I, I will admit. Yeah, but in general, no. I mean, it's it's a very. I don't do it to get something out of people, except their own happiness. If there's something I can do to elevate someone's happiness or their joy or take away stress that will lead them to joy, um, I'm generally happy to do it if I can. Right, and that's what I love about you because I know that you're genuine about that, and and I think that most people don't really know how to interpret that because we have been so conditioned through life experiences, mostly, mm-hmm. or you know, bad programming or whatever the thing is. That, you know, we, we do become suspect of people that have that as their overall way of being. It's like, okay, what's the ulterior motive or whatever? Right. I know yeah. that that's not that way with you. And the reason that, you know, honestly, 
we probably don't reach out more in that way is that I really, if I, if I reach out to you in that way, it's because I know that you're genuine in that. And so if I reach out, I want it to be because I genuinely believe that you're going to be able to help me. Like, I don't want to take advantage of that. Does that make sense to you? you I'm not putting it in words, you know, necessarily that I would want to choose, but um, because I know that that's who you are as a person and, and I want to be that way too in my life that, you know, we do a lot of the work that we do. And, um, I, I want to be that for people in my life as well. And so there is that certain level of pay it forward, so to speak, or just do for others, you know, because I, I really believe that um, both Michael, my husband and I have stepped more and more into that place as well in terms of really getting fired up about helping other people be successful because that's exciting. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, if I could be that excited about my own stuff, maybe, you know, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's just that dynamic of when you can work together and help someone else, you know, be successful or create something awesome. Man, that's just so cool. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, I love that feeling. You you mentioned something earlier about people being suspect, and I think that that is definitely a component to it. I mean, how many times have you gone and hold, held the door open for a stranger and they just give you some kind of scrunchy look like, what are you, <laughs> what are you doing that for? Who does that yeah. in this world? You know, even when we've gone down to the basic levels of human consideration and people mm-hmm. look at you like you're nuts for just being a decent person, when right. somebody offers you something out of outside of even that, um, it, it does get met with suspicion quite a bit. And I have had yeah. uh, that to the point where I've even said, you know what, I'm fine. I'm just not going to do this anymore because people are more afraid of it. They've been conditioned to, to be more afraid of it then accept it. And that really was a difficult thing for me to grasp. But I've tried to put it in the perspective of just like I did with, you know, with competing uh, with other artists, everybody has come from their own experiences, whatever positive and negative influences that they've had, the things that they've seen, their thought processes, their, you know, how many times did I have to touch the burner before I stopped touching the burner? (laughs) Yeah. You know, that kind of mentality. So you can't really ever you know, judge or compare anyone because everybody comes into life and they are where they are in their journey based on all of their factors. And I can look at somebody and say, oh my God, how can you, how can you do that? Like, I don't understand your thought processes or your decisions are always leading you to disaster. And that's easy for me as an outsider to say, but I don't know what all those factors were. I can't analyze why they think the way they do. They just do. Right. They just do. But it but it does get disheartening the more you see of that and the less you see of people like you who do appreciate a gesture like that. And it it does get you to that point where you're like, you know what, I just I'm just gonna stay in my hovel. I'm not gonna go out unless yeah. I have to. And uh, like we were saying earlier, like I don't know how much I would leave the house if I didn't have to leave the house. Right. You know, <laughs> aside from my walks, of course, but um, absolutely. But, but we do get to that point. And I, I fear that we get pushed into that more and more in this world than we are coming out of it. I think it's going to be a while before yeah. there's enough of a shift in that direction. Yeah. I, I feel like on some level, the shift is probably happening, but I agree with you. It's been a long time coming and, you know, we've, we've had countless conversations about this type of thing, you know, and, and spiritually the world is just so starved for the very kind of thing that we're talking about, just that human interaction and caring and genuine love. 
You know, it's like, let's toss out all the dogma and all the other stuff and just really get down to basics. It's like, we're supposed to love one another. Yeah. How are we doing with that? You know, how are we caring for each other? Are we? You know, it doesn't seem like it too much. But don't you think, no, we're not, at least not on a global <laughs> level. But don't you think a lot right. of that is that that sort of what's it, what's out there in society? I mean, how many things other yes. than cat videos, how many human things do you find on YouTube that make you smile and see people doing good to each other versus, right. um, you know, mocking people or laughing at people or these epic fail videos yes. and, you know... There's so much more that's put out there that drives us to focus on that. Let's keep each other from each other. Then let's right, build together. Exactly. And, and I think a lot of it is because it's easier. You know, it's easier to do that and build those walls than to tear down our walls and really take the chance and the risk of putting ourselves out there that we might get hurt. You know, because really that's what it boils down to is the fear of being hurt because we've all been hammered in that way, you know, in our lives. If you've lived for any amount of time, you've been burned, you've been hurt, you know, you put up those walls. It's like, I am never doing that again. And yet that's the very thing that we all need so much is to just unplug and reconnect to humans, you know, and, and I get it, man. It's hard for me. You know, it's difficult for me, but, um, I have such a passion about that. i I really, in whatever ways I can, want to help people connect with their humanity more mm -hmm. and with their, their spiritual side more. You know, I mean, especially living in Sedona, you, you have all different varieties of people. And you, I listen and communicate with all levels of people on their, their journey, spiritually speaking. Um, but the one common thing that everybody is is grasping for in, in desperate need of it is more one-on-one -on -one with one another and that knowingness that that they're okay no matter where they're at on their journey it's okay to be where they are we just need to know that someone loves us no matter where we are it's okay because you know what we're all messed up mm -hmm. we all have problems we've all made mistakes you know it's like like you were saying the whole judgment thing it's like we need to kind of like step away from that and move more into let's not make fun of each other, but let's recognize that you don't know what that person's journey has been. Right. Yeah. And so maybe just have a little bit of compassion for them because you might hear their story and just be in tears by the time you're done. Right. Because their, their story might be something just so compelling that you don't know about. I hear it all the time mm -hmm. and I'm humbled all the time. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh, who am I to pass judgment on that person or, have a snarky attitude about that person or whatever, because I don't know what their journey has been. Just like, I don't want people to have that attitude about me because they don't know what my journey has been either. Yeah. And I've been on that receiving end too. And it ain't fun. If you take it down to the basic level and you, you look at just uh, like uh, road rage, for example, and you know, let's yeah. say that you're driving down the freeway and somebody cuts you off to, to get to the exit ramp. Our immediate thing is to get angry and, you know, shout or, or flip them off or, you know, scowl or whatever yeah. it is. But there's the, but that immediate reaction that we have is taking whatever their situation is per, per, you know, um, personally, they right, don't right. know who we even are. We're a car on the road. They've <laughs> exactly. got to get to the exit. You know, we don't know. So I used to do this thing and I, I, I kind of mm -hmm. slipped out of it, I, I have to say. But I used to think 
I don't know what's going on with that person. Maybe they're on their way. Yeah. Maybe their wife is on the way to the hospital delivering the baby and they've got to get there. Or yep. Maybe their, their friend tried to commit suicide and they're dying in the hospital and they need to get there yep. before that, you know. I don't know what's happening with them. There must be a reason that they're driving like a complete idiot and putting right. me in danger. <laughs> but but we automatically go to that defensive slash aggression mode without yeah. putting in that that thought. And I tell you what, when I changed my uh, perception on that, mm-hmm. it really made driving a lot more pleasant. Yeah. It really did. Because I agree. It, it, it has nothing to do with me. I just happened to be in that space. But right. They didn't go, oh, you know what, that little gray car, he's done. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna cut him off because I don't like him. They've never right. even seen me, probably. So it's it's really important that perception and the and then the perspective afterwards. Yeah. And, and the quicker we learn, the as soon as we react, the quicker we learn to identify that inappropriate reaction and turn it around, the faster yeah. we'll get to not reacting that way at all. Absolutely right. You are absolutely nailed it. You're so correct. Thank you. But it takes a lot of honesty. And I think that's where people tend to fail because they don't, people don't <laughs> want to see themselves as doing anything wrong. And oh, so, you know, so it's Boy, not the other guy. Come on. Yeah. It's the other guy's fault. I wouldn't have gotten angry if it wasn't for him cutting me off. So it's always right. like, let's refocus that blame. Just be exactly. honest. Yes, that person did something, but you also reacted the way that you reacted. So take that responsibility uh-huh. for your part and then just do the best you can to turn it around. We're not perfect. It's going to take a long time to retrain our brains, but you have to start somewhere. Right. And you know what it is, is just bad programming that we've received. And so if we look at our, you know, I just had this, I just, I just gave a talk on this recently where, you know, it's like, look at yourself as a biological computer, you know, um, and, and what are you allowing into your system and, and how are you responding to that? And if you've got bad programming, yeah, it takes a while to put in the new programming to have the new habit develop, like you were saying. And I think, honestly, for so many of us, especially that have lived in Phoenix or any big city, it becomes a survival technique. You have yeah. to change your perspective because otherwise you just become a raving lunatic. Right. And you realize, you know, that's not healthy. You know, and it, you know change your perce- perception in your life changes. You know, what you what you perceive changes. Yeah, I can't remember who put that out. I think it was probably Wayne Dyer or someone like that. You know, there, mm. there's just the perfect way that he said it. And was like, oh, yeah, you know, right. change your perception and what you're perceiving changes. And, and oftentimes that is so, so true. It really is. And I've I've done that, you know, in the in the working field, I've done that with music. And, you know, even yeah. when I've taken on projects and I'm like, God, this is I really wish I'd have never done it. You find little ways to shift things to make it OK and to get through it. And if you can do that, then you can do it on the larger scale with life habits. Right. You know, I, one thing too, that I, I found fascinating um, is, and I think I'm going to have to actually break this episode into two parts now, um, <laughs> but I, I find it uh, like the, the mob mentality or the group mentality a little bit fascinating too. And, and I look at, uh, like, I used to be a really big fan of hockey and growing up uh-huh. in Michigan, you know, I wanted to be a, a goalie for the Red Wings. Go Yeah. But a couple of yeah. years ago, I started thinking about this and I thought, so you've got 10 forwards and defensemen on the ice and you have two goalies. So when the 10 players start fighting, why do the two goalies start eyeing each other? What is it? <laughs> what is it in their condition that makes them want to be a part of hurting someone else? You know, they, yeah. they know who each other are, obviously. I mean, everybody in, the, you know, they, they know the other players. 
but they've got no beef with each other. They're at opposite ends of the ice. They haven't right. touched. They haven't bumped into each other. Nothing has happened. But for some reason, they start eyeing each other and then they start moving forward to see who's going to go first, <laughs> who's going to take the penalty for crossing center ice. And they start fighting. Yep. But why? Where? What is it in our brain that makes us want to do that? It is the mob mentality. It's the kind of my team versus your team. And man, whether it's right or wrong, I'm going to defend my team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, instead of working together, like realizing that in the bigger scheme of things, we're all on the same freaking team. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're all human beings living on the same planet trying to survive. Oh, my goodness. That just drives me crazy. Until we really get to that point, to where we're all realizing and living that journey together, I don't, I think right. things are only going to get better to an extent. Yeah, you know, I agree. There's always going to be some element of racism or, you know, uh, pride, depending on what city or country you're in or, we can do, we need sure. to do better than these people because they have it better than we do. And all that kind of stuff would go away if we just realized that one fact. But there's just too many people and there's too much deep seated programming for us to get there without some sort of cataclysmic event. Right. I don't think it will happen. And I hate that, but I don't think yeah. it will. it'll get better. I agree. It can get better. But it won't be 100%. There will never be a utopia because there's always going to be somebody that will find a way to have more for themselves than everyone else. Oh, absolutely. And that's been the that's been the dilemma for humanity since the beginning of humanity is that, you know, I mean, I think the original design was awesome and we were probably designed to be happy and get along and isn't it awesome. But once, once someone realizes, you know, or whatever being realizes that, oh, hey, I can have more for me at the expense of someone else. Oh, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. Or I or I don't feel good about myself, so I need to put somebody right. else down so I'll feel higher Exactly. Up. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, that's back to that fear of that I won't have enough if I give to someone else. You know, I'm, I'm going to be lacking in some way, you know, it's yeah. like I have to put that person down to make myself feel better. Well, what is it that you're lacking in your life? What is it that you're fearing or needing so that you wouldn't have to put that person down to make yourself feel better? Well, really, it's just that we need more love and more attention in our lives, more people that affirm to us, like you were saying earlier, that, that number one, we're good people, that what we're doing is awesome, and that, hey, you know, despite your faults, you're still a stellar human being. You know, overall, we're all just here doing the best we can. Right. You know, and that's what people forget, too, is that overall, everybody's just doing the best that they can. We all kind of want the same thing. You know, I mean, there's always exceptions. There's always the the jerk who wants more or wants to be the bully or, you know, the woman who's going to take advantage or whatever the thing. But overall, humans, no matter where you're from, no matter what race you are, what your, you know, religious or theological background or whatever, we... We want a good place to live. We want good food and clean water. We want our kids to be safe and healthy and happy and have a chance at a good life. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be able to go out and find a decent job to make a living so that we don't have to work three or four jobs just to be broke at the end of the week. Right. So that somebody else can have more or whatever, you know, off balance thing that is. I don't know. But, you know, it's. It's not rocket science, and yet it feels like beyond rocket science to try to solve the problems because we've gotten so far off track. We've allowed, as humanity, that darkness to take control at such a level that now we're all running around like crazy ants 
trying to figure out how to solve the problem that started so long ago. Because someone somewhere realized, oh, I can take advantage of someone else. Isn't that awesome? No, it's not awesome. Stop. Right. But even within that, somebody will say, well, I have to be the one to come up with the plan. So I'm going to shoot your plan down. Right. You know, so I can be the hero. And and it just never Right. Because my plan's better than yours. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it's really interesting. I was listening to a, a podcast recently with Jenna Fisher, who uh, is an actress who uh, is known best for being Pam Beasley on The Office. And she mm-hmm. wrote a book called uh, The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide. And it's and anybody who is an actor, director, even a musician or just a fan of entertainment. It's a great book for them to read, but it really is a great survival guide. And she was saying that, you know, a lot of the attitude, especially in Hollywood, is that there's not enough roles for the number of people that are trying to get right. them. And it really is like, I shouldn't tell my roommate about this audition because I don't want them to go in and get it <laughs> because they have a similar body type or a similar comedic style right. or whatever. But if we all just work together and create things, there will be plenty of things for everybody to work on. Right. And the first person in my own ad to that is what I typically see, which you know kills the utopian idea, is that the first person to go, well, yeah, but if I do this, then I can get two projects. It's uh-huh. over right there. It just ends. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, you, you do. You have to be selfless, you know, and I know that that's difficult for all of us. It's difficult for me. Sure. I mean, it's it's that way in the art field here in Sedona. You don't get, you don't get people that are like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm going to help you out. I mean, not other artists because you're in competition with them. Yeah. I've had, I can't tell you how many people be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hook you up with this person and, you know, I'm going to talk to this person about you. And that, that crap never happens because. <laughs> yeah. You're in competition. I mean, even if you don't do the same style of art or whatever, like you were saying, there's only so much space in XYZ gallery or shop or, mm-hmm. you know, town or whatever, and everybody wants a piece of it. Yeah. But but where it could work is if, you know, the people are working together going, okay, well, we filled this gallery. Now we need to build another gallery or we need to create right. another space where uh, where more of the artists can show off. So there's people that are builders. There's people that are you know, good at land deals. There's people that are good with money. I mean, if if all of us work together, we could have all those things. Exactly. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, or, or maybe I just thought that I talked to you about this earlier, but, you know, we're like, if everybody does what they're really good at and what they love to do when we work together, you can make it be successful. Right. You know, or, or, or have a better chance of it being successful. Right. And, you know, there have been those of us that have talked about that here in Sedona, artists, you know, who aren't part of the, you know, the the people that are currently in galleries or showing or whatever. And, and there are madly talented people who just don't ever get that opportunity for whatever reasons, you know, it costs money and their competition and whatever. And so, you know, there are a lot of us who've talked about having like the pop-up art shows or the, you know, random gallery, you know, showing at somebody's house or trying to find different ways, you know, like that, where we can work together as artists to make it easier for all of us. But you you always do have that faction that's like, oh, no, because that's taking money out of my pocket and we are not going to let you do that. You know, right. we are going to yeah. keep a control on this thing. And that's unfortunate, but I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I just... I know that for each and every one of us, you know, for anybody who pays attention or has a, uh, even half a brain or half a heart can recognize that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to change. And it really does come back down to the simple fact that 
what can I do in my life right now where I'm at to get started, Mm -hmm. to make a difference? Um, You know, smile more often, you know, say hi to somebody at the post office, you know, like you said, let them in line if they're in a hurry in their car. Like, does it really matter that you're ahead of them by one car? You know, no, it doesn't. You know, it's it, it, in the scheme of life, it's not going to make that difference for you, but it might for them. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, you know, maybe maybe they're on their way to the hospital because, you know, X, Y, Z accident just happened. Like, like you were saying, you just don't know other people's life situations. And so if we could just approach our day every day with just that in mind, like what can I do for me to be better and be a more positive influence on somebody else? Yeah. What can I do to help someone else? And I think that's the key to the world. If if we all have that attitude, uh, unless we're all just standing there looking at each other going, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> right. We're all waiting for somebody else to do it. And yeah. guess what? You know, like I've been hearing this for years. It's like, oh, well, you know, XYZ, you know, alien are going to save us or God's going to save us or save us. Somebody's going to save us. It's like we're, we are going to save ourselves. You know, I, I get tired of the people that say, well, why doesn't, you know, God come in and save us? Or why doesn't, you know, XYZ um, spiritual person, if they're that powerful, why don't they come in and just change it all? Because if they're omniscient creator, you know, all creative life force, then they should be able to do that, right? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But they're not so that all creative, omniscient, power, creative, you know, being thing that you were talking about didn't mess it up. We did. Yeah. And so it's up to us to fix it because if we don't realize that we're the ones that have to fix it, we're always going to be the ones that mess it up. Because if somebody else comes in and fixes your life, isn't it more likely that you're going to do it again, you know, mess up again? Isn't it when we step in and fix ourselves that we, you know, realize, number one, that we can do it and that it is our responsibility you know, and you're less likely to then make that mistake again because, oh, well, mistakes are what make exceptional possible. We have to stop being afraid of that stuff. If I had a party and trashed my apartment and I hired a maid to come in tomorrow and clean the place up, I'm probably going to have another party. Yeah. If, if I have a party and trash the place and I have to clean it up, there's not going to be any more parties where that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the thing. Unless you change, you you can't just fix the problem. You have to change it. And right, if, exactly. you, if you don't change, then yeah, you're just going to keep doing it. As they say, history repeats. Uh, but right. that's, that's really what it'll be. You'll just keep doing the same things over and over until you, if somebody else is coming and cleaning up your mess. Right. And as humanity, that's pretty much what has happened because we've been given do-overs before. Sure. I mean, let's face it. You know, anybody who does any research in history or spirituality or anything, you know, theology, whatever it is, I mean, the stories are out there for people who really want to find out. Mm -hmm. And we've been given opportunities over and over and over again, but there's always that seed of of greed or, you know, one-upsmanship or whatever it is that's left behind. And then over time, man, we just cascade out of control. And so, like you said, it might take something really cataclysmic to, to pull us out of the stupor that we have been sold a bill of goods on. And, you know, I mean, all you got to do is look around right now, and it's like there are earthquakes, there's volcanoes, there's weather that's out of control, there's flooding, there's, you know, cats and dogs living together. Oh, my! You know? <laughs> right, mass hysteria. <laughs> the, 
the bedlam, you know, the the the, the mayhem and, and just everything that's going on. But you know, when that stuff happens, what's the other side of the coin that we always see? You always see the good side of humanity come out. People that want to help, they're they're showing up to help their neighbors. They're sending food. They're sending clothes. They're do they're sending money. Whatever they can do. Humans, as a rule, if left unmessed with, for the most part, we have good hearts. Yeah. You know, we want to help. We just don't know how. <laughs> but I think a lot of people, too, in, in this distracted world just can't be bothered to help. Like, they might want to help, but what tends to happen right. is, you know, oh, yeah, I really, wow, that's horrible. Let's, um, all right, well, let's have dinner. And then, yep. yeah, and then there's, as soon as the distractions start, I think you're right. I think basically people want to be good people. But I think we've become a, a somewhat lazy society and it's, yes, it and just becomes, you know, yeah, but we also get that way in the moment and not, we don't stay that way on the whole. Like when somebody passes away that you're close to, and I just lost a friend last week and, you know, in that moment, you're like, I want to give everybody I care about a hug. But a week right. later, when you're out of that shock and the, and, and, you know, that, that depression is worn off a little bit you really don't go and take those actions. Whereas that should be our right. normal thing is we want to take care of the people that we know and we want to meet more people to take care of, you know, that to, to yes. look after and have look after us. Um, You're but, absolutely right. But it's fleeting. It's fleeting during disaster of any kind. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's sad because that is our, our tendency. And, you know, I go through this even in the non-disaster stuff, you know, I mean, we are given opportunities all the time where we could step out every day and help someone. And it's like, oh, um, yeah, maybe I'll do that later. Send anybody else, not me. Right. Yeah, I want to help. I want to be, you know, the hands and feet in the world. But, oh, could you send somebody else to do that job? Right. And we were just talking about this a couple days ago. And it's like, it's so the pattern of humanity, you know, it's like, we, for whatever reasons, multitudes of reasons, we, yeah, we've just been beat down. We're tired. We have it. I really do believe that we have it in our hearts that we want to help, but we want somebody else to do it first or take the first step or, or we want somebody else to show us first that they love us before we show somebody else that we love them. Yeah. Because we're afraid to be vulnerable and to, to put ourselves right. out there because what if we get hurt? Right. And what that, what all of that shows me is that we are, again, all so starved for personal connection and, and people that care about us in our lives and people for which that we, you know, that we can care on in our lives too. You know, it's like, again, back to the, oh, we think we're doing it through social media and because we're all so connected in that way, but that's not what connects the humans, man. We, we need one-on-one -on -one time with our peeps, you know? Yeah. So you're saying that posting pictures of our designer coffee isn't really bringing us together? Well, you know, I'm not <laughs> in the ways that we're talking about here. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you know, I really appreciate your your uh, attitude on this. And, and I think that you're absolutely right. It's It's a tough thing. And the more people that wake up and start caring about what's important and less about you know, having the, the newest gadget or the, the nicest car, yeah. or, you know, all these things that really in, in the, the greater scheme of things don't make uh, a, a bit of difference. Uh, we'll get, right. there. you know, I think we used to be there. I think we can get there again, but it's going to take a long time and, and a lot of people really focusing and not getting discouraged. Right. Well, and that's, that's the hard thing too, is just 
the, the discouragement factor. It's it's difficult not to get discouraged, but you know, I mean, life is worth the fight. You know, it really is. That's again back to the. That's why I do what I do because I I love life so much, and I and I mean, what I mean by that is like I don't always love my life so much, but I love creation so much. I mean, when you can look outside and just be in nature and watch all the little animals and what they do and have little animals in your house and watch the little things that they do and just the nature of life in general, trees and flowers and even insects, man, they're not my favorite, but even with insects, it's just, I marvel at life and just how special it is and how we need to care for that better. We need, as humans, we need to be better stewards of our planet before it's too late. You know, I don't want to be like an alarmist or whatever, but there's just some next level stuff that, you know, it, if we don't take care of the life and the things that are right outside our door, they may not be there forever. Well, that's very true. And especially, uh, you know, people, uh, we all have right. an expiration date. We don't know what it is, but exactly, uh, it's it's going to happen. So enjoy what you have while you have it. Make sure that the people that uh, you care about know that you care about them, and don't you know, don't worry about the rejection. If if there are people that are are worth that care, then they're going to reciprocate. Right, exactly right. Yeah. You know, and that's just that's um, that's just wise words to live by, my friend. Well, <laughs> thank you. I think that's a good note to to end this marathon podcast yeah. on. Uh, I, I know, right? <laughs> I, I will say thank you for for putting the art out into the world that you do, and the good energy, and and the care, and the love, because it does reach people. It does make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, whether one person listens to one of my podcasts or hears one of my songs or sees one of your paintings, if, if that one person is affected and touched, even if just for a minute, that's a minute right. that things are better. And, and the more exactly minutes that we right. can gather, the better it gets. So thank you, Carla. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and what you do, because I am not even kidding, dude. You are one of the most stellar human beings that I know. And I am so grateful to be able to call you my friend because... Life is tough, and it's people like you that make the journey um, easier, you know, and better and more inspired. Well, thank you. And I, I definitely feel the same way about you and Michael. And, uh, you know, for, for those listening, uh, Carla and Michael from a previous episode uh, are married and uh, great artists. They played in uh, Element 115 together, and who knows what we're going to see them do in the future. <laughs> very excited about everything that's coming uh, down the line. But thank you so much, Carla, uh, for being a guest, for being a stellar, just amazing, beautiful human being. I, I have uh, the utmost love and respect for you guys. And uh, I, I'm so grateful that our paths crossed when they did. I am too, my friend. I, I surely am. And I am grateful for you. So, so grateful for you. And thank you for this opportunity. Truly. I really am grateful. You And, you know, thank you for always reaching out and, you know, having that attitude of how can I help you? Because you know, you always seem to know the right thing to say at the right time. And I just love your willingness to help. And I, and I am so, so grateful for you in my life. Well, thank you. That, that means a lot to me. So you have a wonderful evening. Go get something to drink. Cause I'm sure your throat's probably a little bit worn yeah. from all the talking and, uh, you know, come back and see us again. I absolutely would love to do that. And I'm looking forward to the next time. And um, take care of yourself up there because I know that it's hot and it's dry and woohoo, it's Vegas. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, well, the, the earthquakes will shake us, uh, uh, shake everything up uh, if we get any more of those. It was a little crazy a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. But thank you. And you guys, stay. Yeah. Uh, well, you're in a little higher elevation, but it can get pretty hot up there, too. So hydrate. Yeah, we're pushing hundreds. Man, yeah. it's craziness. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. Carla. I love you, dude. Love you, too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye. Yep, lots of work to be done, and it takes everybody to focus on making things better instead of uh, bitching and complaining and yelling at each other and not listening. So let's just work on doing better. In the meantime, thank you for listening to episode 63. I will be back after the uh, Labor Day holiday with the exception of one random episode where I will be reviewing Audionamics' Extracts Stems 2 and uh, you should check out their their website and also the podcast episode I did with Ellie from Audionamics, who's absolutely fantastic. Make sure that you leave your reviews, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. Tell your friends. And thank you guys for enjoying another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. <laughs>